Vandal's giving me the nod. It's time to go here, Jeremy. Let's get this started tonight. It is Behind the Yellow Line, episode 103 for us as we inch closer here to St. Patrick's Day. That means we are getting knee-deep into the World Baseball Classic. It also means spring training really percolating down there in Mesa. So lots to get to here today. We will talk Cubs spring training. We'll talk about some of the Cubs and other things going on in the World Baseball Classic. It's been a couple weeks, so let's sort of revisit these rule changes. What do we like? What do we not like about some of the new rules impacting baseball? Some TV news, some money news, and then we're going to wrap things up tonight with a look at the Fangraphs projections for the bullpen. And we'll take our over and under on some of the big names we expect will contribute to the Cubs bullpen this year. But uh, we record this on the night of March 15. We are a little more than two weeks away. From opening day. So I, I saw that we got the NCAA tournament this weekend, the World Baseball Classics moving on. And I said, all right, boys, we're real close now. You can taste opening day. It's within reach. Yeah, it's a good sports time right about now. You know, that I'm I'm a big NCAA tournament fan. I know you are a big NCAA tournament fan. Uh, so the World Baseball Classic, it's like there's almost too much to watch. There's so many things going on. Then you got, you know, football free agency, all that big news. So, yeah, it's a crazy time, and I'm excited for it right now. Yeah, when the brackets start flying and the NFL, uh, the new NFL year begins, that's a, a another waypoint on the roadmap to opening day. So we're getting there. Now, yeah, Randall, this is good. Yeah, this is good. I was just going to ask Randall a question. I was just going to say, you know, there have been some reports now that you've broken out of your darkness retreat after five days, four days, I think it was. Do you have any big news or plans you plan on announcing on the podcast for the upcoming year? Like, where are you going this year, Randall? Well, I'm still Hoping dealing with the very, very close as we're talking. I'm about. still dealing with the two of you. So my darkness retreat continues. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. I heard Randall was locked into the big decision today from Aaron Rodgers. And maybe we'll have some big news. I wish share. somebody would lock him in. Just keep him there. Well, he's going to New York. So we're never going to hear about him again, right? I, I wish. I wish. But on the bright side, they will absolutely eat him alive and leave nothing but bloody scraps. So I am looking forward to that all being on fire about a month into the NFL season. Uh, but the, the less I hear about him and the sooner he goes away forever, the better. Yeah. Well, before we get into Cubs in the World Baseball Classic, what in Mesa has your attention right now? I, I I like the starting pitching. Some of these young guys. I, I'm still. I'm every time I see Hayden Wesneski on the mound, I'm like, this guy. This guy's good. I I, I think he's going to be really good. A really good pitcher. And every time I watch him, I'm like really into it. And I think for the most part, the starting pitching for the Cubs has been pretty solid. They had a couple. Justin Steele had a uh, not a, a great outing yesterday, but he's been pretty solid so far. And and you know I, we saw Killian again today. He had a couple good innings, then kind of struggled. But uh, I, I've been stoked about him, Wesneski. He's been awesome to me. Wesneski has continued to pitch well. Adrian Sampson, he struggled a little bit. You know, I'm on record on the show as saying potentially that the uh, Wesneski's options might make him start the season at Iowa. But if Sampson continues to struggle and Wesneski continues to pitch well, they may make the right decision. Say, let's let's keep the best player. Yeah, it should be the best player at this point. Plenty of depth in the starting rotation. Uh, what I was going to say on Killian there is I saw the glove work from him today was maybe the play of the game. Just pounced off the mound, maybe a diving catch in between third and home. You just see the athleticism when a player or a pitcher makes a move like that. Definitely. Pitchers, definitely pitchers are athletes. And uh, 
the only thing I worry about when you see a guy, a pitcher diving like that is, you know, make sure, make sure you, you go in flat, make sure the knees are okay. Make sure the elbows are okay. You don't want to damage something diving for a ball in spring training, but pitchers are athletes. And that was a nice play he made. Yeah. He went after it uh, in spring training, you know, he's trying to make the club or at least show something to put him on the radar to make the club. And, and for the most part, it looked like he was pitching. Okay. Did run, did end up giving up a couple of walks, get ran into some trouble in that third inning tonight. But uh, yeah, I, I've been intrigued by him as well. I I, I like the way he he looks so far. Yeah, Randall, uh, anything else? It's Cubs camp. Cam Sanders has continued to stand out for me, and you know, not just because of the last name. He's continued to pitch well. They've continued to give him those end of game opportunities, which again, you're not necessarily facing the best hitters that the other team has to offer in a, a spring training ninth inning. But there's something about that late inning. Doesn't matter who you're facing that not everyone can do. And so far, Cam Sanders has handled it pretty well. We singled him out not too long after last week's episode. He had another great outing. He continues to impress. And again, even though he's a non-roster invitee, that's one of the easiest, uh, relief pitchers, one of the easiest positions to make the opening day roster as as a non-roster guy. So he's putting himself in that conversation, just like Ethan Roberts ended up making the team last year. It wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world to see the Cubs elect to bring him up to Chicago to start the season. It's fun to see a guy come out of the bullpen and throw 99 in the Cubs uniform. We haven't really seen that too much over the past few years. So I, I like I I'm still skeptical of him making the rotation. Uh, excuse me, the bullpen out of the spring training, but I I think he's going to be a big leaguer at some yeah. point this season. I think he's going to be coming out of the bullpen. Hopefully, he's coming out to stay right. And uh, yeah, I think he can be a fun guy to just see those those velocity numbers pumped up, up there. So I, I agree with you, Randall. He he's put himself on the radar for me too. Yeah, the only thing that should prevent him from Wrigley Field this year is an injury. So as long as he can avoid that and avoid some bad luck, we'll be seeing him back out at Wrigley Field. Uh, so there were some photos of him, I think, as a kid at Wrigley that popped up on Twitter this week. So it'll be nice for that to go full circle and to see him as an adult on the mound and hopefully some high leverage innings. Yeah, and it, it, of course, his father, Scott Skinner, was a minor league, or excuse me, was a major league pitcher for the Cubs in the, uh, I think, only one season. I want to see, it was either 1999 or 2000. So that's probably when he was at Wrigley as a child, you know, with his father, Scott Sanders, uh, former Cubs bullpen uh, arm. So, uh, yeah, that'd be cool, as you said, to make it full circle, to bring Cam Sanders back to uh, another member of the family pitching at Wrigley Field. Jeremy, you are correct. One season for Scott Sanders, uh, father of Cam, 1999 in a Cubs uniform for Scott Sanders. Well, offensively, I was excited to see Ian Happ hit a big bomb this week way out under the concourse behind the berm there in Mesa. That was a good sign. Uh, also, two other names. We mentioned this guy last week. Trey Mancini's hitting right now. It's it's a small sample size, right? We're not even at 15 games at this point for a lot of these guys, but he's pacing the team 13 hits in 10 games, and it's coming at a time where Hosmer hasn't done much hitting since last week, and Matt Mervis has not had any luck at all offensively. So again, we're talking very small sample sizes, but at least one of the first basemen right now off to a hot start, and it's nice when a newcomer from another organization comes in and hits a little bit in spring training. Definitely nice. You'd rather see guys hit than not hit. But of course, you look at the opposite end, you know, you see Dansby Swanson has done absolutely nothing in spring training and you're hoping him to have a monster year. So he, so just to put it in perspective, it's like, you know, it's so much to take away from spring training. But a guy coming off a year like last year that Trey Mancini had, where he was actually a pretty good hitter up until he got traded to Houston. Um, and you you want to see him performing well. So uh, I'm excited for him, as, I, as I, we've talked about. And I, I, I like to see him you know, as you said, pacing the club and on and offense during the spring. 
Well, something I've noticed watching spring training games, it is a very different product right now, especially when you watch spring training games, and then you counter that at night watching these World Baseball Classic games. They're playing with different rules. It, it's very clearly playing out differently in front of us. A tweet from last week from Jeff Passon, just to sort of put some numbers behind what we're seeing here. The average length of a spring training game last year, three hours and one minute. This year, 25 minutes shorter. So it's coming in at two hours and 36 minutes. Runs are up about half of a run per game right now. It's not a huge difference there. How about this jump, though? Stolen base attempts per game. Last year, one and a half in spring training. This year, two and a half. So we are seeing more movement. The bigger bases, the shorter distance between the bases. Uh, Batting average on balls in play on ground balls, 20 points higher right now. There's a limit on the shift in baseball this season. The strikeout rate still obscenely high, over 23%, but nearly one percentage point lower. So you're watching these games. It feels very different to me, and those numbers put a little bit of context that, yes, we are in fact seeing a very different baseball getting played in front of us than what we saw last spring. I have noticed the rise in stolen bases. The Cubs, not a team that has run a whole lot under David Ross. A lot of that's the roster. You haven't had a whole lot of guys you trust to run. But this spring, it seems like everybody's got the green light. And they probably do test out those bigger bases. But I have noticed that the stolen bases are up. And I think that's one of the things we expected with the larger bases making that a slightly easier proposition. So not surprising, but that has stood out to me is the fact that more guys are running and taking advantage of those slightly shorter distances. Yeah, the one thing I would point out about that is is it it is kind of more like uh not necessarily guys that you would expect to be uh the top leaders in, in stolen bases like major league guys. It's kind of it seems like the most guys that are on the, the top end of the leaderboard of stolen bases are guys that are trying to make the club or quad A guys or whatever, like you know, trying to show the coach something, the manager. So it'll be interesting to see if that translates over to the major or excuse me, to the regular season. Oh, sorry, excuse me there, uh, to the regular season, see if actually like the top end guys who are the st- your stolen pace kings uh, who aren't really running because there's no really a reason for them to run spring training actually do run more uh, during the regular season. But I've, I've been a fan of these changes. I like the way they've played out so far. I, I, I've been a fan of all of them. I, I think that, you know, I, I haven't really missed the shift. I know people were bitching about it. Like, I, it's not that big of a deal to me. And when I watch it compared to the WBC, it's like I kind of like I prefer the brand of baseball that's being played in spring training over that. I it moves along quicker. The, it's not as slow. The pace is better. I I've, I'm a big fan of these changes. You know, I've definitely noticed watching these World Baseball Classic games that there is a slower pace to it. But I'm not totally comfortable watching these spring training games. It feels like the pacing is a little bit off. Like, I think it's a good thing that the games are 25 minutes faster. The games swelled into something they shouldn't have been in the last 30 years or so. But I'm uncomfortable watching. It's giving me anxiety watching these pitchers and batters sort of rushing through things that normally are a little bit more deliberate. So maybe it's just me, right? I've watched baseball for 20 years. This is what I'm used to, and I need to get used to it. But I'm wondering if there's a little bit of tinkering, if the pitch clock could be extended even a couple of more seconds and whether that would make a difference for me. Rona, it, it's not just you. I have noticed that the pitch clock, it, it obviously it's speeding things up, but it does add that that countdown, that little bit of anxiety to it. Like I'm watching the, the clock tick down seven seconds, six seconds, five seconds. I'm like, pitcher, you got to get in your windup. You got to go. Or you're going to get assessed with a violation. It is adding that extra dimension of like something chasing the pitchers 
during the games. And, you know, we'll get used to it. It's only been in effect for what two three weeks worth of games at this point but i have noticed that is that i'm i'm watching the clock on the score bug as much as i'm watching the pitcher and the hitter and i'm saying to them in my head get in the box get in the box get in your motion and you know it's going to take some getting used to so i don't think it's just you i've noticed that as well and you know it's going to take some getting used to well i'm going to be the contrarian here i i honestly haven't felt that at all i i've been into this and uh i i like it i i don't i don't think they should add any more time i think it's perfect as it is uh, guys will get used to it. Guys will get in, and you know, watching it, I, 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 the, let's like, let's go, like, let's pick up the pace here. I've been a fan of it. I think, I, I think the, when I'm watching these, I actually feel more put out by watching these World Baseball Classic games. To me, I like watching them after watching these spring trade games. I've been like, this is so slow. I can't watch. Like, we have guys walking around the mound. I'm like, let's go, let's let's get into this. And I've had the exact opposite feeling, and I think that. Uh, I think it's been uh, I think it's gonna be a huge bonus and and I think that I, I I like it the only the only downfall I've noticed from it is there is that little bit of like from the broadcaster you don't get quite the story in that kind of sense you know the broadcasters have to be quick and on it but I like the pace of play I I feel good about it the broadcasters are all complaining that they don't have time for stories anymore and you know I, I feel that but uh sacrifices have to be made somewhere it is funny how this worked out where you have these new rules being introduced in spring training and simultaneously you have not major league but high level baseball being played at the same time and we are seeing basically both systems in play at the same time and i think that's making the change a little more jarring not only are we adjusting to these changes but we are having what was left behind played simultaneously and, you know, it it just makes the comparison that much more stark. So it is funny how that worked out. It is funny how MLB chose to uh, add these rule changes right as their every four-year high-level tournament was going on with completely different rules. So it is funny how that worked out. Another, another fun MLB idiosyncrasy. But I think that's what's part of making the change as jarring as it is as well, is that we're seeing them held up right next to each other. And this will probably be the last time the World Baseball Classic looks like this. If we have a couple of years until we see it again, Major League Baseball will continue to tweak these rules, and then it's going to be implemented. So this is our last chance sort of seeing that older style of baseball, a little bit more of a deliberate pace to it. Um, interesting that you mentioned the broadcasting. Uh, honestly, in the spring training games I've watched this year, I've spent very little time listening to the broadcasts. And part of it is I'm not really thrilled with – what Cubs broadcasting is right now, especially in spring training. Uh, like Randall, I don't love the constant going down to the dugout. I don't love the revolving door of every time I put on a Cubs game, somebody different is broadcasting it. So I've had it on during the workday where I'm not really listening. I'm just sort of watching in the background between calls and things. Uh, but that will be something to sort of zone in on once the regular season starts because I like the banter when JD starts telling stories and maybe there's not as much time for that. Yeah, we're, we're beating a uh, an empty Clark costume here, but the, the broadcasts have been very wide ranging and not in a good way this spring. Just last night, they were talking to the uh, the South Bend broadcast team who's down there in Mesa right now. They gave last year's South Bend Cubs their Midwest League championship rings, which is great. But they went down to the, the two broadcasters on the concourse being interviewed by Taylor McGregor and her microphone that she was using to interview them cutting out. So you've got this interview taking up 
most of the screen. You, you're getting every third or fourth word from Brendan King, who she's interviewing. And the game itself, which again, spring training game doesn't matter, but the game itself is in a, a little box in the corner of the screen. It just does not work. And it's spring. They'll cut out a lot of that fat for the regular season. But like you said, Ronan, the, the spring training broadcast, they're not super watchable right now. They're not. They're not. I agree with you. The rotating uh, announcers, some of them are kind of interesting. You know, them the other day, you know, we have Beth Moens and uh, Doug Gladville or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I could probably put that on mute. But uh, I, of course, it's as you say, it's spring training games. And, and the Cubs are broadcasting, Marquis broadcasting pretty much all of them, which they've never done in the past. So it's going to be tough, especially when you have a national guy like Boog who's probably often, you know, doing things. He can't sit around. He's not going to sit around calling every spring training game. But uh, I'm right now I'm kind of just happy they're on TV. Even even all the nonsense, you know, I I, I, I agree with you 100% Randall. I don't like when they take away from the action on the field and they're, and Taylor McGregor is interviewing people and whatever, even interviewing, you know, Dancy Swanson in the sixth inning. Like, I'd rather watch some of these young guys play than I understand he came out of the game and you want to talk to him, but I'd rather watch some of these young guys play um, but I am also just happy that Cubs baseball is on TV that we often, a lot of teams don't get any of this and the Cubs are like the number two team, I think right now broadcasting all the games. So it is kind of a luxury to be a Cubs fan. Jeremy, that's a great point. And Ronan, I know you'll agree with this. We've come a long way from like one game a week being broadcast and the rest of the week, you're kind of just reliant on the, the slow updating box score to see who might've gotten into the game and who did what we have come a long way from that. Even if the, the audio content of the broadcast is not great, it's still better to have them that you can watch these games live easily than to not have them. So for all of our complaining, it, we've come a long way from where we were not all that long ago. And ultimately I still think it's a net positive. Totally. 100%. we got more to talk on the broadcasting front. Not so much that impacts the Cubs, but other teams across baseball this season. We'll get to that in a little bit. But let's tie together the Cubs of the World Baseball Classic. A number of Cubs are playing for a bevy of teams that are still alive. And a couple of them are making great statements right now. And I think we got to start with Javier Assad. Just last week or the week before, Randall was saying, well, him not being in Cubs camp may not be good for his odds of making this Cubs team. So what does he do Sunday night? He goes out on national television in front of a sold-out ballpark in Phoenix, and he mows down the American lineup in relief. Three innings, just one hit allowed. He's striking out guys like Pete Alonzo and Mookie Betts. It was unbelievable. And the fastball up two miles per hour. That was a different Javier Assad than we saw last year, and it was electric watching him out there Sunday. I thought the part where he turned towards the camera, flipped the double bird and said, this is for you, Randall. I thought that was a little aggressive, but let's be fair. I deserve it for saying it hurt his, uh, his chances of making the team. Yeah, if it's going to play up like that for him in relief, that's a very, very big plus in him making that team. We knew he had... Uh, and, you know, it's not necessarily the best stuff, but it was pitchable stuff. He could work himself into jams, work himself out of jams. But if that fastball is going to play up to 96, 97 in these short relief appearances, I don't know how you can necessarily keep him off the roster because that that's a weapon for you. That's a weapon for you to use. Maybe you only have room for so many like three inning guys who are going to pitch two, three times a week, but a good pitcher is a good pitcher. And if that's the sort of thing Javier Assad can replicate, and he did that against major league hitters, he's not doing that against, you know, the, the bottom of the team Italy roster, he's doing that against major league hitters. And if he can do that in major league games, that's a weapon you absolutely have to utilize. 
Well, well, he's not just doing that against major league hitters. He's doing that against top one percent of major league hitters. Yeah. He did that against nine All Stars, three MVPs in that lineup, and he faced ten ten batters, and he one for ten was the U.S. lineup against him with the only hit coming from Mike Trout. Uh, he was mowing down, you know, Mookie Betts, as you said, Pete Alonso, as you said, you know, he faced Schwarber, he faced everybody, Tim Anderson, and he and nobody could get a hit off him. And and when he's coming out of the bullpen looking like that, it's it's you know, maybe that's his role, at least for now. You get another arm out of the bullpen, can pitch multiple innings. The Cubs have a few of these guys, we've mentioned them. And he I like right now, if he looks like that, I don't I don't see how he doesn't make this team. He he looked fantastic and maybe he can fight to to get that another rotation spot. I mean, we've seen Adrian Sampson not really take it, you know, this this spring training. Uh, you know, Drew Smiley's had a little bit of struggles. I still expect him to be there, but you know, Wesneski's probably gonna be in there. Who knows what Javier Assad could do? Maybe he can get a few starts. Uh, but yeah, if he looks like that out of the bullpen, I, I definitely say at least try him in the bullpen to start the season. I was going to say there, do you think the uptick in velocity is because he can do max effort in relief? Or is there something else to this? Is it off-season training? Is it the fact that he's a little bit older? What should we attribute to a big jump in velocity from him? Me personally, I attribute that to the the shorter relief appearances where he can really let it fly. But we know he's worked very hard in the offseason to strengthen that arm. Guys find a little bit extra on their fastball when they get to the major leagues and they can work with a major league training staff and major league coaches. So I would say it's primarily column A, but I'm not going to discount that there's a little of column B in there as well. I think it's a combination of things. I think, yeah, a little bit is, you know, coming out of the bullpen, especially in a game like that, adrenaline running high, you're just throwing as hard as you can, short inning st- stint. But, uh, he, he, you know, he made it a focus this offseason to add velocity. Like, that was one of his offseason goals was, I'm going to try to add more velocity. And so I, I believe that, yeah, he definitely probably added a tick to his fastball. That I th- that seems believable to me. So if he's hitting, you know, he was at 95 last year and he's hitting 96 this year. Every little tick counts, especially once you start getting into the yeah. mid to high 90s. Like, if you ever look at a chart of fastball velocity versus, like, ERA or run scored, there's a correlation there. It's it's not – the harder you throw, the better off you usually are at preventing runs. So uh, I, I, I do believe a little bit in it. But if he's coming out of the bullpen and he's going to have those situations, maybe, you know, maybe he is hitting 97 out of the Cubs' bullpen. Well, you want to see a clinic in high-velocity relief pitching. was watching Puerto Rico-Dominican Republic before we recorded here earlier today. Just guy after guy churning out in these bullpens, effortlessly throwing it 99, 100 miles per hour. It's just unbelievable to see one after the other coming out and throwing it. And then on the other side of it, a ton of extra base hits in that game too. So somehow these batters are able to hit these balls. It's just crazy. Yeah, and that was a fantastic game. Uh, yeah. in Miami with the atmosphere of the Puerto Ricans and Dominicans like that, that that's the fun of the world baseball classic. That was, you know, moving on, getting eliminated, not Dominican getting eliminated. How crazy is that? In yeah. the first round. Uh, yeah. And then you, your, your boy, Javi Baez, your boy, Yadi Molina moving on. I, my, he was on the bench, obviously he retired, but <laughs> yeah, Yadi, well, doesn't, I, Yadi doesn't really move anywhere. So I noticed looking at uh, Yachty in the dugout today, he's, I think, enjoying retirement. He looked a little bit uh, pudgier, a little bit thicker than I remember. Javi looks like Javi. Had an unbelievable slide in the third base the other day, a swim move to get into the bag, and it's just like, yep, that's Javi. And then you see him up there against the slider just absolutely hacking at a ball that he's nowhere near, and it's like, yep, that's Javi. You get the good and the bad, but he still is electric as ever. 
I miss I miss getting to watch him every day. Uh, and it's nice to see him on my television screen day in and day out again. Javi is still Javi. He's still El Mago. And all of his traits, good and less good, have been on display here in the World Baseball Classic. So it's nice to see Javi again. Yeah, and of course, Marcus Stroman as well on uh, the Puerto Rican team and, and pitching pretty well. But one guy coming out of the bullpen who looks to me pretty good is another former Cub. And Dwayne Underwood, who I'm like, he came out today and he pitched pretty well against the Dominicans. He's pitched pretty well uh, earlier uh, in in the World Baseball Classic. So I guess it's nice to see Dwayne Underwood, a former Cub, finally kind of putting it together and being a successful major league pitcher. Well, there's been a lot of chirping online as the World Baseball Classic's gone on. And I think overall it's been very enjoyable. The games I've been watching... It sucked me right into it. But you always get those people saying, well, what about injuries? And some of these major leaguers are going to get hurt, and it's going to mess up the regular season for them, and it's going to mess up my team. New York Mets, yikes here. Edwin Diaz with a real bad injury as Puerto Rico's celebrating at the end of that ball game. It's a knee injury. He goes down hard. I saw some replays of it. It looks really, really bad. And it's got me wondering what the domino effect will be for the Mets. But first things first here, talk about horrific luck. This is like the worst case scenario when you get a tournament like this, an all-star player suffers what looks like a gruesome knee injury. It was one of those injuries that was gruesome because it wasn't gruesome. He was on his feet getting getting dogpiled for the victory, and then he just wasn't on his feet. He was on the ground, and everybody was circled around him, motioning for the trainers and all that. His brother was in tears, his brother pitching with him on the team as well. It was just one of those injuries that was came out of nowhere. He's on his feet, and then he's not. And those are usually the ones that end up being the worst. The knee just buckles the wrong way at the wrong time, and you end up with uh, a torn ligament and potentially a missed full season of baseball. So you certainly hope that Edwin Diaz's injury is not as severe as it looked, but boy, there were no happy faces on that field in either dugout as that was happening. And it seemed like everybody had a pretty good idea of what had happened. And it did not look like anybody had a whole lot of optimism, optimism as he was being wheelchaired off the field. As a fan of uh, college baseball, unfortunately, it's kind of a common occurrence. You see that every couple of years when the dog piles kind of a, a thing, you know, moving on to the cultural series or whatever. And there's always one guy that like every two years gets hurt, breaks a uh, no, wrist or something. But watching this one, I was expecting to see like this crazy dog pile. So like guys jumping on top of it, but there really wasn't. He, they, it was, it was a bunch of guys that got together and looked at first, but then they were all just kind of standing in a group jumping up and down. And you can't really see him because there's a crowd of guys, but he must've just buckled underneath that or something. And it makes yeah. me think that, this wasn't really an injury that had anything to do with the World Baseball Classic. Like, guys can get hurt in spring training. We, we see it every year. I mean, Seiya Suzuki got hurt, not in the World Baseball Classic. He pulled his – he straightened himself. He's out. Um, so we see all the time guys getting hurt in spring training. So I know that teams and everybody's going to be like, oh, the World Baseball Classic, it doesn't make sense to send your stars there. But, like, the way his knee kind of went down, it wasn't, like, a tremendous amount of stress or something. So it makes to me like that knee was – Probably, I don't, I'm not a doctor or anything, but that knee was kind of maybe going to go no matter what at some point. But uh, yeah, still unfortunate. And hopefully Edwin Diaz is not as severe as we all think it is. Yeah, the you'll forgive the phrase here. The knee jerk reaction is that guys shouldn't play in the World Baseball Classic because freak injuries can happen. And maybe a guy is not going to be celebrating like that in normal camp. But if the knee was ready to go, it was going to go. And it could have just as easily happened as he planted his foot to drive towards the plate and deliver a pitch. 
if your if your ligament, your whatever is ready to go, it's going to go one way or the other, no matter what. So I, I I understand the knee jerk reaction, and you know if the Cubs were looking to be super competitive this year and they had lost a player to this tournament, I probably would have a uh, a reaction or two before my cooler head prevailed. But at the same time, yeah, you know this can happen anywhere, and I'm hoping that it doesn't. I doesn't make teams stop sending their, their top players to this tournament worried that they will get hurt. You guy can get hurt in no matter where he's playing. And I would say to baseball fans who think players shouldn't participate in this event, I'd say, well, it's kind of two things on it. One is that you should be very lucky that you live in a time where you have a platform that you can share these opinions with the world that otherwise people normally wouldn't be listening to you or paying any attention to what you have to say. <laughs> but number two, I would actually challenge these people to take five minutes and listen to what the players who are participating in this event are actually saying about what it means to them. The story about Mike Trout, who sat out last time, going, felt terrible at home watching the U.S. playing on TV, not being in the middle of it, and saying, I'm never going to make that mistake again. Now he's the face of the American team, right? You've got players playing for countries their parents were born in or they grew up in, and how neat is it watching Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic it was like watching two little league teams with the jumping around in the dugout, the celebrating, you know, there was a sort of a romanticness to that, that these players really value getting to play for their country. They've got a lot of national pride and they should. So for a random fan to be sitting here going, well, I don't want my player playing for this team. It's a great thing. You've got no say in that for these players. It means the world to them. For the guys on Team Israel saying, look, I didn't know aspects of my heritage, and now I'm around these guys and we're talking about it. It's making my life a little bit more full. That stuff is very, very cool. And it's all part of a broader effort to grow the sport globally. That will be very good for Major League Baseball the next 20, 30, 40 years if more people around the world care about this sport and if more athletes try and get to the big leagues. It's going to make the sport so much more fun. So I've dismissed those people that are like, oh, players shouldn't be playing it. These players love playing in this event, and I'm all for the players having fun. They're enjoying playing out there. It makes it fun for me to watch it. Yeah, this is a conversation we can certainly get into, and I want to get into in a future episode what it means for players playing for maybe some of the smaller teams, Great Britain, Nicaragua, Colombia, Team Israel, what it means for them versus what it means playing for the powerhouses, Team USA, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. We can get into that this a whole lot deeper in the future, but the short version is Team USA is playing for, you know, they're playing for fun and they're playing for pride. An organization like Team Nicaragua, they're playing for exposure. They're playing for funding. They are playing for growing the game in their native country. Uh, like great, a team like Great Britain, they are playing to get resources, funding, attention for baseball actually being played in Great Britain to the point where hopefully in 10, 20 years, you have a whole lot more actual British baseball players and the roster isn't completely players who are born in the Bahamas or other Commonwealth countries. It's about, like you said, it's about growing the game in these countries and playing in the world baseball classic is the way to do that because you are getting more exposure playing in the world baseball classic than you are in the Olympics where baseball is kind of an afterthought uh, where it was non-existent for a number of years. than you are playing in the various other international tournaments in between. This is your stage. And that is what it means for these organizations. That's something I kind of want to get into again in the future. But the short version right now is that it means very different things for very different national teams. And that is another huge part of the benefit of this tournament. Yeah, you mentioned Great Britain. 
you know, you, you see online a lot of people mocking their uniforms, but <laughs> you you hear then you hear watching the broadcast, their baseball federation has a budget of twenty five thousand of twenty five thousand pounds. I mean, it's a little more than dollars, but twenty five thousand pounds for a budget of your national federation is not a lot of money. So you can't really spend a lot of money on on uniforms. But even even the guys like the U.S. guys, all the guys on the U.S. have pretty much said like this is the most fun they've had playing baseball in a long time. Like they're into it. They're they believe it. Like Mike Trout, Adam Wainwright, who's been you know World Series champion. Like this is a big moment for them. So I I, I like to see that. It's been fun to watch, and I'm watching it. I'm taking it in. We talked last week about record viewership in places like Japan. Something that caught my attention, it's a little bit anecdotal, but I teach college students. I teach college students that study sport management. They want to have careers in the sport industry. I've got about 35 students this semester between two classes, and last week I said, hey, who's watching the World Baseball Classic? Like, what, what are we enjoying of this? And, like, three hands go up out of 35 of a lot of students – right now, those 18, 19, early 20 year olds, maybe aren't necessarily glued into this. And frankly, those folks aren't glued into a lot of things. That's not necessarily where they get their information is watching live sporting events. But I do hope this is maybe capturing some younger baseball fans. I don't know if the late start times help. We've had a lot of games that my time here in the mountain time zone are starting at like eight or nine o'clock, which isn't good for the East Coast. So we'll see how this all shapes out. But at least the college crowd here in Denver not paying too much attention to the WBC right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you're in uh, Mountain Time or Pacific Time, these night games are perfect for you. It's dinner time baseball. Uh, if you're in Central Time or Eastern Time, it, it's been a little difficult to swim in these pools sometimes. Ronan, one thing you one thing we brought up is what it means to certain players. You've had a lot of really young players have an opportunity, sometimes good, sometimes not good, to face off against the best in the world. The 19-year-old starting pitcher for Team Canada a few nights ago who uh, didn't have the best night he's ever going to have in his career, but you know he still got to say he took the mound against uh, a number of MLB All-Stars. And this is one of my favorite stories out of the World Baseball Classic so far. You have 21-year-old Nicaraguan uh, pitcher Duque, I think I'm pronouncing this correct, Duque Hebert, uh, facing Team Dominican Republic. His team didn't win the game, but he struck strikes out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers all in one inning. A Tiger scout does not let him leave the stadium before offering him a minor league contract that he signed. And, uh, that's right. Our, our loyal listener and friend, Greg Kern, uh, said, hey, you want to you be a Detroit Tigers minor leaguer? And Mr. Habert said, absolutely, Mr. Kern. Uh, but yeah, that's that's great. Again, these guys are getting exposure they would never get, they are getting seen by scouts if they are not signed to an MLB organization. This is potentially career changing for a lot of these young players not signed to organizations. And, you know, it's it's something you wouldn't really think about, but then it happens and you're like, wow, that's great. I wouldn't have thought about that. But now that it's happening, uh, you know, it's just great for these young players. So it's another kind of ancillary benefit of holding this tournament. But yeah, that's a really cool story. Uh you know, he, he, and to be honest, if you go in there at 21 and strike out those three twos, you probably deserve some look at a major league organization. There's a lot of guys in major league organizations that will never be able to say they struck out Raphael Devers, et cetera. Uh, you know, so that's a really cool story. And there's been a lot of guys over the years who have kind of international players who have kind of thrust themselves onto the baseball scene in the world baseball classic kind of first come to attention uh, to the mon- to the ba- baseball fan. Like, you know, like Seiya Suzuki, we kind of first came aware of him from the last baseball classic. We're like, oh, look at this guy. 
say Suzuki, Japan, and other players, other Japanese players. I remember when you Darvish was, you know, pitching for Japan. I was everybody wanted to see him or Otani or whatever. Um, so it's a really cool story. And you mentioned 19 year olds pitching and, and pitching well and not well. Uh, there's a 19 year old who's uh, the first Orthodox Jewish player, uh, reportedly, who knows, in uh, in in professional baseball and modern in baseball to be drafted who pitched Jacob Steinmetz pitched for team Israel this year. He struck out Manny Machado at 19 years old. He was like in single a last year. He's an Orthodox Jude. He comes in and he strikes out Manny Machado. So that was pretty crazy to see from team Israel who had the unfortunate uh, distinction of being perfect game and walked off in the same game. Can't say Mercy rule. Often. Perfect game. Yeah. Walk off just for just for the trifecta. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool tournament to see lots of guys you would never see before to come in, make a name, and maybe you'll see them in the future. Like I remember in hockey, you would see that every once in a while, like in the Olympics, like, like, Oh, this guy, I remember Matt Zuccarello, the Rangers basically just signed him off the Olympics. And because like this guy was killing like NHL players and you'll, you're seeing it now in the world baseball classic. Yeah. A guy like that probably deserves to be in some major league organization. We have hundreds of players in major league organizations. One more thing I want to note uh, on the topic of eating crow, as I did regarding Javier Assad. Jeremy, in our last edition, you said Team Cuba was playing so bad that they were triggering you. Like, you just couldn't watch. And yet they are one of two teams advancing out of Pool A alongside Italy. So clearly they heard you. They took your criticism to heart. They said, Coach Spector is not happy with the play. We need to shape up. And so they did. Uh, so I, I think they owe you a jersey. Um, I think they have you to thank for lighting a fire under them. Hey. I have some Cuban baseball apparel from like 15 years ago when family members went to Cuba and like I have a Cuban baseball hat, I have a Cuban <laughs> baseball. So I, I've been I've been the supporter of the of Team Cuba. You know, the, all the communism in me is comes out with the with the Cubans. And so uh, I hey, you know, I, I'm not going to say like they went out and beat a bunch of, of the top notch teams like group like Pool D. That's really the, the pool like everybody's. Great there, but uh, it's nice to see them actually, you know, perform a little bit. You know, see some like Noam Makata's actually produced a little bit. See some of those guys like, okay, this is actually nice to see. Like you're doing what you should be doing. Like Cuba should be good, and so it's not. That's nice to see. So Cuba and Italy move on, as you said, Randall, uh, in the B pool japan remains perfect they advance uh the favorites right now they look very very good how about australia the fighting kangaroos they move on to play uh, other couple of teams that move on here mexico venezuela puerto rico and the u.s tonight needs to do a little bit of work as we record this they are trailing midway through their ball game uh win tonight though advances the united states uh, Ronan, you've done it again. As you say, they are trailing. Mike Trout just singled in two runs, Excellent. and they are now leading three to two. All so right. that's a that's a live O'Shea turnaround. We've seen them we've seen them recorded before, but I don't know that I've ever seen one live like that. So we have that on tape now. Literally, the moment he said they were trailing, Trout singled in the left field. All right, like, hey, I'm off the bat. Like I said last week, I'm here for Team America. I'm 100% Team USA. Doing my effort here to bring home a win for the boys. Uh, not really worried down a run, too, in the middle of the game, and now they're up, and maybe they take it from here. But it looks like the U.S. is to move on here, and we'll see who else rounds it out. One final thought on the World Baseball Classic. I want to go back to the Cubs here. Owen Casey, 
big-time prospect in the Cubs system. They got him in the U Darvish trade a couple of years ago. Jared Young also homering for Team Canada. So maybe some future Cubs here knocking the ball out of the ballpark. I know Randall was particularly excited with the Jared Young home run because it came off Lance Lynn. So a little bit of an extra there rup from Randall on the home run from Jared Young. Yeah, that was a big Yeah, you know, it, the the Team USA had a comfortable lead at that point, so I'm perfectly okay with Jared Young giving Lance Lynn a little bit of the business. And, you know, Jared Young, he's a, a Cub, enough injuries, and he might see Major League time this year. Uh, so that was that was entertaining to see. I'm I'm good with that. I'm good with how it went down. I don't mind that one bit. Jared Young uh, played in the majors with the Cubs last year. He made his debut in yeah. September of last of last season. He hit he hit a rocket like that was not a cheapy. That was not he cranked the ball off Lance Lynn. And as we talked about, you know, facing you're facing major league players. We're facing kind of elite major league players. Like Lance Lynn has been a very good pitcher in the major leagues, and to hit a ball like that off of Lance Lynn is pretty impressive. And Owen Casey just absolutely demolished the ball in Arizona, just dead center. And the cool part about the Owen Casey homer was you got Pete Crow Armstrong and uh, uh, James, James Triantos, Triantos right there celebrating. And they were actually there for both sides because B.J. Murray, who's had a couple hits, uh, was of uh, Carp's farmhand, has, has, was playing for Team Great Britain. But, uh, yeah, Owen Casey, he's done some things. He also had a, a, a big single the other night in Canada's win over Columbia. And depending on the way this game goes, if Columbia wins, and depending on the scores, Canada can get through. Like, there's still potential to get through, uh, depending on the way this U.S.-Columbia game plays out. Yeah, it, seeing Owen Casey has been great because he would not be getting this much time uh, in Cubs camp that vi- visibly that we would be able to follow. Uh, Jeremy, dead center doesn't begin to describe that home run he hit in Arizona. You don't see a whole lot of home runs hit to that part of Chase Field, and Owen Casey does it. We know he has light tower power, and it's been very fun to see him display that. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you mentioned James Triantos and you mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong. All three of those individuals are uh, they're a little paler in tone, and they all have the red hair. They're all basically Canadian flags. They're red and white all over. So it's like he's got his own little appropriately colored cheering section there as well. Yeah, it's kind of funny that they all kind of have a similar, a similar look to them. And uh, it's every time you see them, it is a little intriguing. But yeah, it was it was fun to see them jumping around uh, in, in Chase Field, you know, going out there and supporting their boy who's out there uh, for Team Canada and then hitting, hitting mammoth homers, as you said. Yeah, it was a bomb. Worth looking up if you haven't seen it. Some financial news with the Cubs here. Sportico reporting today that the Cubs team valuation up 6% from a year ago. They are the fourth most valuable team in Major League Baseball behind the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. The Cubs are worth apparently $4.7 billion. Wow. Saw that today and I went, it pissed me off actually, to be honest with you, when I saw that and I see that the team is afraid of the luxury tax, that they're sort of punting another season here. But wow, 4.7 is a big number and a huge ROI for Ricketts and company. They spent under a billion dollars for this team about 13, 14 years ago. Now it's worth nearly $5 billion. Rhoda, it didn't just make you angry. You demanded. Somebody put that on the rundown tonight. You were just furious about it, that they've that the team is valued like this after the the Ricketts family bought the team and Wrigley Field for under a billion. And yet, like you said, they refused to go into the luxury tax. You were just spitting. Yeah. There was venom, it's, venom coming from your fangs. You were it's so absolutely mad about this. appalling. 
It's absolutely appalling because these Major League Baseball owners go on and on about they don't make that much money, and biblical losses is what came out of the mouth of the chairman of the Chicago Cubs here. They've made more than $3 billion since purchasing this franchise, and yet the entire World Series core gets traded off with the extension of Kyle Hendricks. He gets an extension. Everybody else is gone. They do spend money this offseason. Like they obviously went out and got some legitimate players, starting with Dansby Swanson, but they're not making massive aggressive moves here. They're still very conservative, I think, when it comes to payroll. It is offensive to me that the Cubs have such an advantage in their division over a team that wins a lot like St. Louis, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh might have the worst owner in Major League Baseball. The Reds might have the second worst ownership group in Major League Baseball. And the Cubs are not just spending their way to division championships. You're damn right that's appalling to me. And it's going to be a while here, I think, until we see a 90-win team on the north side. And it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this long since 2020 for the Cubs to going back and being competitive when they're quite literally printing money at Wrigley Field. Yeah, uh, you know, I, you're not wrong on most of what I mean, not on all of pretty much all of what you said. Uh, I the one thing I would point out is obviously it's it's unrealized value because they would have to sell the team to actually make that money. But yes, you're absolutely correct. They're the rickets are not in in any sort of financial straits, and they should be spending lots of money. And hopefully this season, you know, if the Cubs actually do perform well, that they actually do go over the luxury tax. I agree with you. I see no reason why they should not at least be over the first threshold of the luxury tax. To me, that's crazy that they're well, not. And and I and hopefully, you know, they go over that because they hopefully they have a decent season and pick up some players. But yeah, I I, I do. But I also think there's some other factors as well as to why that, that is as well, besides just Tom. You're right. This does not mean there's $4.5 billion in the pocket of Tom Ricketts that he can just go out and spend. But at the same time, it's not like they dropped a billion dollars in cash to buy the team. They didn't actually spend that much money right out of the gate. They took on a lot of debt to actually purchase the team and finance the team. And now they're printing that money back. So, yes, I'm not under an illusion here that a team valuation means cash in pocket. But this is a team, uh, an ownership group that has made a massive return on their investment. And I don't think that money is funneling back into Major League Payroll. And it's evident by the fact that the Cubs don't have a top three or top four payroll in Major League Baseball this year. No, I, I, I don't. I, like I said, I don't disagree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I was just pointing out a little bit of sakes. Uh, I, I, I do. I also, but like I said, I, I, I think some of it is Tom, yes. I, I think the Cubs should be over that. But then I also think, and we've talked about this in the past, that some of it is the front office like not wanting to make certain deals and not wanting to, wanting to keep their power dry and everything. And yes, some of this Tom definitely like when in 2020 or whatever, they, they lowered payroll, they squeezed the front office. I don't think they've ever, they had a standing mandate, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. But because payroll was lowered, there was a crunch and they had to make moves. They had to get rid of Darvish. They had to get rid of, of Schwarber. That just happened. So I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I feel, just feel like there's so much going into this and yes, the Cubs should be just spending money. They should be doing it. They should be like, I'm not going to say they should be Steve Cohen-esque and go out and spend $300 million, but there's no reason they can't be doing what the Padres are doing. And I 100% agree with you on that. Especially in their division. It's a very yes, winnable division. And it's it's tough for me as a fan to see the team valuation continue to skyrocket. And I mean, $4.7 billion. New York, the Yankees are in sort of their own territory at more than $7 billion. The Cubs are right there with the Dodgers and the Red Sox in that $5 billion range. The Giants are sort of close at $4 billion, and then it drops off. The Atlanta Braves 
very, very successful organization, the New York Mets, the Houston Astros, all of those teams under $3 billion in terms of valuation. So the Cubs are in very elite company, and I don't know that the output matches the input, I guess is what I'm saying. Certainly not on scale, and it's very frustrating. If we watch the Cardinals, and I think this is going to happen, we're going to have another 90-win season, walk away with another division championship while the Cubs maybe get to 500. I'm tired of seeing that, and I thought with the last rebuild, we were avoiding these gaps of three, four, five, six years without a, a competitive team. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Definitely there. I think they kind of failed at the end of the last rebuild to build the sustainable uh, team. I also want to point out, you know, and we're going to get into this probably a little bit more later in the show, but a lot of what the Cubs have done uh, in terms of rebuilding Wrigley and the surrounding area, you know, you have Marquee and all these things. Like, I still feel like a lot of it doesn't work if the Cubs are bad. Yes, you're going to get your – you're going to still get fans to watch. You're going to still get fans packing Wrigley. You're going to still get it. But we've seen Marquee and all the RSNs, like, viewership is down on that. They're probably – they need to pump that back up, and the best way to do that is have winning teams. And and ticket prices are drowning, and, you know, they've pumped a lot of money into this, this team. So I do feel like at some point, like, they have to win. They have to put a product on the field that people are excited about because they're still like a malaise. There's still people that are angry, even though they spent a lot of money, as you point out this offseason, there are still people that are angry with the Cubs and, and deservedly so. I'm not dismissing anybody's anger. There's still people that don't want it. So they need to put some a product on the field that people can get excited about. And hopefully we've seen some steps to get there. But yeah. I, I just feel like that like that has to be the end goal. Like I, I still kind of believe in that. Like Otherwise, none of it works. None of their investments to me work if they're not putting on the product that people get excited about and make and get the billion, the millions and billions of dollars that they really want out of this. Well, they set yeah. the Cactus League single game attendance record too a couple of weeks ago. So they're not just making money in Wrigleyville, sure. making a ton of money down in Arizona as well. Did you have something, Randall? It's, I was going to say, you know, the goal of any team is have good enough players to have a good enough team to get people through the turnstiles and make money off of them. You could argue the Cubs have increased their investment in that outcome by buying up the neighborhood as much as they have, where, you know, if you don't have people coming to Wrigley, you also don't have people passing through the team store. You don't have people going into the hotel Zachary. You don't have people going to the, the restaurants that they've built around Wrigley. Like Jeremy said, the Cubs have done this investing in the infrastructure and in Wrigley. And if they don't put a good team on the field, none of that matters because you're not going to have as many people as you would like coming through those gates. So like Jeremy said, it behooves them to spend money and good, put a good team on the field. Because when you put money into this team, you're going to get it back tenfold because people will come and they will spend their money at the overpriced everything that you've built around Wrigley. So, and that they're not doing that, it's, it's puzzling that they're not putting that money in that they will get back tenfold if you get people to come to Wrigley. Yeah. I just want, I, I still think that's like the end game. I still think there's going to be a point where like kind of like 2015 where or 2014 off season where like the Cubs are hopefully building towards something and then the money kind of gets thrust into it. Um, I, I'm just saying like, you know, teams like the pirates, the, you know, we know these teams, they're just sitting back. Yeah. For them. It's not, I don't think it's as big of a deal to win because they can, they're getting paid out. Like, the Cubs are a revenue payer, a revenue sharing payer. Like they have to subsidize all the other crappy teams. So th not that the Cubs are losing money. I'm not saying that at all. But I still think the they will be making like in order to optimize what they're doing. 
I just feel like they have to put a product on the field that people care about. Like they're going to make money no matter what, most likely. Uh, but even with like a 75% Wrigley, but in order to really, to really get this going, to really get all the cash that Tom Ricketts wants to get out of it. I just think you have to put a competitive product on the field. And so I'm still holding out hope that at some point that we're going to get to that stage. I just feel like this past off season was kind of like, we want to get to the precipice of that stage. We don't want to be at that stage. We want to get to a point where we can kind of, still keep some flexibility and, and maybe next year we'll be at that point where we're right on the precipice uh, We're right there to push the team over. And to me, I disagree with that. I think they should go forward even more of that, but that's just kind of how I felt that yeah. the, the, the off season was spent. And uh, I, 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 but I still think like they're going to get to that stage where we're, you know, a player or two away from winning. Now we need to go out and get that player. We need to go get our John Lester. We need to get our Ben Zobrist or Jason Hayward. We need to put some money into this team right now. Well, nothing says we're serious about winning. We want people in the ballpark. We want to establish a winning culture. Like Eric Hosmer as your free agent, one of your free agent first base signings. Good clubhouse guy, right? We'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, Jeremy likes Eric Hosmer. He'll be in the seats there rooting him on. Um, I'll be a thousand miles away in Denver going, God damn, he's still on the roster. On. Where's world Matt Mervis? Series champion and World Baseball Classic champion. Eric Hosmer. Jeremy uh, and Randall, speaking of some financial news across baseball, we've got some bankruptcies impacting viewership of Major League Baseball. What's that about, Randall? So the Bally Sports Conglomerate, which is owned by, but it's financially separate from uh, Sinclair, they have declared, they have officially filed for bankruptcy and Bally Sports RSNs, uh, the former Fox Sports RSNs, but they are home to 14 major league teams. And then in addition to that, previously, the four teams who were AT&T Sports, and that's the Astros, the Pirates, Ronan O'Shea's Colorado Rockies, and the Seattle Mariners, those already filed for bankruptcy. So you have the local broadcast rights for 18 out of 30 MLB teams that are, they're not in limbo, but they're in um, kind of a halfway state right now. And what's already going to happen is MLB will take over likely these local broadcast rights. And already for four of those teams, that being the Reds, the Guardians, the D-backs and the Padres, MLB will be streaming the broadcasts for these teams for free and in market. And the end game to this is potentially MLB regaining control of the broadcast rights for most of these teams and potentially working out some kind of revenue sharing for teams who have their own RSNs that they own or co-own, like the Cubs, like the Yankees, like the Red Sox. And you could potentially see a nationwide blackout-free streaming option available to all fans. And this is not the issue, but it is very funny to me that the the blackouts have been an issue for fans nationwide for years and that the end may come not because MLB made a decision in the name of the fans, but because they were able to scoop these rights up from these bankrupt RSNs. So it's a thing in progress. Bankruptcy proceedings are never quick. They're never clean. They go lots of different ways, but that is what's happening right now. You already have four teams that MLB has taken back these broadcast rights for, and they will be streaming these teams in market for free, which was unthinkable, what, five years ago? Not even all that long ago. And, you know, you know, this is going to go a lot in a, in a lot of different directions, but that's what's happening right now is the Bally Sports RSNs have filed for bankruptcy, and they follow the four AT&T RSNs in having done that. Yeah, I, I would point out, though, that the four those four teams, that's not like, like – 
that still has to go through uh, a hearing and a court. Like that's probably going to be the end game. Is that um, MLB will re- they will be returned to Major League Baseball to the clubs individually, um, but that still has to be approved by a court, which is going to take some time, probably at least over a month. Um, and you know, it could be if those teams do want to sell those te- those rights, they they would probably have the possibility. MLB has said they're prepared to do this if. If that's the end game, and it's most likely will be the end game there, but uh, yeah, obviously, I, I MLB Major League Baseball. When we're talking about blackouts, the whole point of blackouts was to protect RSNs. Like that was the whole point. Like it didn't make sense if you could watch uh, a game in market. It doesn't make sense for you to purchase the cable or whatever to watch the RSN. That's the whole point. But if the RSNs are taking and the MLB can scoop these rights back up, and we have no idea if that's going to be the end game because if it does come back, like. They, it, Bally still exists. They're in bankruptcy, but they're still going to exist. It's going to be a whole long ordeal to get through it, figure out what happens. Those rights could still be sold to third parties to broadcast them. Who knows if they do end up back with MLB? Um, but if they do end up back with MLB, then I, yeah, I would be pretty excited for the opportunity to like purchase an MLB. It will be more expensive. It's going to be more expensive than what MLB.tv is now. But if you can purchase all games, watch every game in market, no blackouts. Like, I do think that would be a win for the consumer. I think that would be a big win, but it's going to take a while to get to that stage. Right. We preface all of this by saying, again, bankruptcy hearings, that's snail's pace, that's maple syrup pace, that's molasses pace. Nothing about this is going to happen quickly, um, but it is going to happen in due time. And again, we, Jeremy, you already mentioned it earlier in the show that uh, cable, you know, cable viewership is down. The cable bubble has burst where the Dodgers made what billions of dollars in their broadcast deal. The Cubs did not come in quite the right time to make that much money with their own RSN. The landscape is changing and we're seeing uh, a potentially, I don't know about seismic, but geologic and that it's going to be seismic, but it's going to take a very long time. We're seeing a geologic change in the, the media landscape. And this is, this is where that starts. Yeah. And, and we're seeing like all across, uh, uh, you know, every like Ronan, you know, firsthand, like people are cord cutting, like nobody, mm-hmm. numbers of su- cable subscriptions are going way down. Um, And that's going to be something that like, not just baseball, but everybody's going to have to adjust to. And we're seeing like the Red Sox have now offered a service for $29.95 a month to purchase, you know, NESN. You could watch all Red Sox games. And the Cubs have talked about offering that service. They said it won't be ready by the beginning of this season, but they're trying to offer that service. And I am actually interested in what is the future of Marquee? Um, we, you did talk, I believe they're 50-50 partners with this Diamond Sports Group who are owned by Sinclair. And I would I, I would think that, you know, the Cubs would probably be interested in in taking that over and uh, the rest of it and then seeing who else would be interested in joining up with them. But we're looking at this now, like the future of, of RSN is kind of crazy. And, and the Cubs did come in at the wrong time. And people were saying that, like, isn't this a little late? Like the bubble's about to burst. And they came in at 2020. So hopefully, though, they're not too badly affected. At least they're not one of these teams where – Cleveland, whatever, like they don't know what's going to go on with their broadcast. Cubs aren't affected that way. And Jeremy, you you were correct. The Cubs do co-own uh, Marquee with the Sinclair Broadcast Group. Sinclair owns Bally Sports, but it is a, a separate entity. So this doesn't filter to the Cubs immediately, but depending on how high these bankruptcy proceedings go, it could filter to them eventually so like you said they they own their rsn they are not a uh 
they're not kind of a client of an RSN. So this affects them very differently versus the 18 teams who are directly affected, but it is going to affect them eventually, even if it's that MLB, they, they arrange with MLB to that MLB has marquee streaming rights and that they revenue share with the Cubs as part of this nationwide service. So again, it doesn't affect the Cubs immediately. It will potentially affect them eventually. And Ronan, like Jeremy said, you are yourself a cord cutter. Where do you stand? You might be able to pay you know, a fee where you could watch the Colorado Rockies live in your living room, even though you do live just around the corner. Um, you know, blackouts would be a thing of the past. Well, I think blackouts being a thing of the past is a good thing. But these price dollar points that are being thrown around, I think, is a major barrier. Hardcore baseball fans, you and me, yeah, we'll pay $30 a month in market. If I lived in Chicago and I paid $30 a month and then I could watch the Cubs on my TV, on my phone, and I didn't have to pay Comcast, yeah, you're going to get that from me. There's a lot of baseball fans and a lot of potential baseball fans that are not willing to spend that much money, right? Life is expensive enough, man, right now. $30 a month is a lot. And I asked this to you guys sort of in jest in our group chat, and I, I maybe you responded. I don't recall a response coming in, though, is I love a scenario where it didn't cost money to get the streams in and teams sort of made their capital by, well, now we've got more viewership. We're expanding our fan base. And with more viewership comes higher costs in terms of advertising on those streaming services. Now, I don't expect that's going to happen. I don't think that that's the way it's going to go. I think Major League Baseball would rather gouge you and me, the known people, than open up an invitation for potentially a new generation of fans to come on board. But I hope they're not kicking themselves in the foot with this. $30 a month will get diehard fans. They are not going to get casual fans. And there are not young people in this country that are sitting down and watching three-hour baseball games. That is not a thing. Young people aren't sitting down and watching three hours of anything right now. So I hope that barrier doesn't prevent growth of the sport long-term versus short-term profits. Yeah, I, the one thing to me is obviously, you know, that would just be to, if you're yeah, like you can still, I, I hopefully Marquee will still be on uh, cable subscriptions and, and you can still bundle and get it. Uh, but and get it with other things. But the one thing to me, well, I do think there will be kind of a, a fight over this from clubs. I think you're going to see some kind of division between certain clubs because, like, you're, you're talking about if you could ever get to like this MLB plus or whatever, where you could purchase, let's say, 30 miles a month and you get every major league baseball team. Um, and you're talking about that eventuality. How does that, how is that divided? Right. Like, like right now, you have teams selling their own, uh, I guess, secondary their own rights you know um not the national rights are that are obviously covered by major league baseball but they sell their own rights and, and teams like there's a disparity there there's the you know the cubs are getting more money than say you know the marlins or the yankees are getting more money than you know the rays whatever like those are real disparities and if everybody's bundled together i could see the big market clubs not wanting to get join up with some of these small market clubs like why would we when we can get so much more on our own and we could sell our own thing why would we ever want to like be a part of some sort of MLB plus where it's just like $30 a month to get every team streaming market. Like, I think that that could be a fight in the future. Um, I do think like somebody like Marquis, the way it's going to end up with this bankruptcy, I do think like there's 50% that is owned by, I believe it's 50% owned by Sinclair or whatever. Uh, somebody's going to end up buying that. I, I just feel like it'll probably be the Cubs buying it out. So the Cubs will own a hundred percent and then they'll probably sell off a portion to somebody else. But like, 
that's not going to just go like somebody's going to end up purchasing that that so we're, it's going to be interesting to see who becomes partners with the cubs and i, I don't think it's going to be major yeah, baseball because i don't think they're going to want to be in the rsn business yeah to, to be clear this is not a straight path this is not a linear path there are a lot of branches there are a lot of a lot of crossroads a lot of alternate ways this could go but the, the point is you've become kind of untethered from the way things were and it can potentially go in a lot of different directions and this is the, the first step in that untethering and we're just going to see where the rsn boat floats down the river well history has a tendency to repeat itself and i think it's worth noting 100 years ago in the 1920s in major league baseball owners were fiercely fighting with each other about the role that radio has in baseball you had teams like the chicago cubs who embraced radio there was a time in the 1920s the cubs had eight or nine different radio stations in the area simulcasting games at the same time in the 1920s the new york yankees were one of the franchises that said radio is going to be bad for us why would people come to the ballpark and spend money if we can listen to the game for free 100 years later we're talking about how fans access games should it cost money should it be free what will the long-term impact be on the sport i find that fascinating it's just a little bit different than talking free radio here 100 years later very worth. Do you think they were years. talking? Do you think they were talking about the streaming rights a uh, hundred years ago as well? No, I just think a lot of baseball fans don't realize that the New York teams were some of the the fiercest opponents of having radio broadcasting in baseball. And I think a lot of baseball fans, even Cubs fans, don't realize the Cubs were one of the first franchises to widely accept it. And the thought process was, this is going to be good for our chewing gum company. We're going to get people talking about Wrigley. So they had those capitalistic sort of ideas back then, but they were totally right. Put that product out for free on radio. It's going to build anticipation. And you see a direct correlation there in more people going out to the ballpark. And we saw huge increases in attendance after TV started broadcasting games. Big coming out party for the NFL was 1958, right? You have a national championship game at Yankee Stadium. Fans across the country go, wow, this is incredible. From that point on, the NFL becomes the number one sport in the U.S. It's not even close. There's nothing close to the NFL right now. So I hope Major League Baseball owners are not just thinking, how do we make the most money this year and next year? But what is the best decision here when it comes to making the sport accessible to fans moving forward? Yeah, and and Chicago fans, as I just said, uh, have experienced that sort of thinking firsthand when you talk about the Blackhawks and where it's like, nobody's going to come to games. We put them on the TV. But to give... To go back to what you're talking about with the the Cubs and the radio, just to to give a little fun factor, I guess, you know, if we're talking about the Cubs and the radio 100 years ago, one of the Cubs, you know, broadcasters on one of these radio stations across the Midwest was a young man by the name of Ronald Reagan, who used to relay the Cubs. He did all the sound effects, everything, I believe, in the Quad Cities and used to be read off the transcript and everything. And so I I think it's kind of cool that one of those guys ended up becoming not only just a famous actor, but the president of the United States. And then later called the Cubs games with Harry Carey in the late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle there. Uh, But a hundred years later, major league owners talking about how do we make the game available? What should it cost? Uh, This will be a major storyline in the background as this season goes on here. And I'm curious in Denver, one of the local markets impacted by these regional sports networks that are struggling, what's it going to look like when I try to watch some Rockies games here in a couple of weeks, I will say this. I'm not going to opening day. It's Thursday, April 6th for the Rockies. It's about 88 to $90 cheapest ticket in the door. Next night, Friday night, 11 bucks 
to get it to Coors Field. So I will see you folks opening night at Coors Field, not opening day. Uh, but I did already block off about an hour on the calendar that Thursday. I like to go out on the roof, watch the flyover, the fireworks, the balloons, take in the pageantry, and a little break from the workday there that Thursday to just kind of take in the festivities out and around Coors Field. Holding up your rooftop sign, ding, dinger, I'm your biggest fan. We'll, we'll know which you know, building is Ronin's because you've got the dinger sign. You know, the funny thing is when I go up on the roof of the apartment here, I'm normally the only person up there. And I often think if there's one camera person inside that ballpark right now that's thinking outside the box a little bit, you'd get a pretty funny shot of this guy on the roof across the street. Maybe I have a beer in my hand. Maybe I'm taking in the festivities, but it just doesn't cross the mind of uh, different broadcast teams. We were so spoiled with Arnie Harris and Harry Carey and WGN incorporating the neighborhood into their broadcasts. You never see that stuff watching Rockies games. And I think it's a missed opportunity. You get a funny visual of me standing across the street on opening day. The, the neighborhood, is that what we're calling it in retrospect? What Arnie Harris liked to put on those broadcasts? Oh yeah, I'm talking about like you've got an iconic image from 1989 of a mail carrier catching a home run ball out on Waveland, like fighting with fans to get the ball. Also that season, there was like a multi-inning uh, documentary basically of a car that was trying to park back when you could park on Waveland during the ball games. I know what you're suggesting, Randall, but I'm actually quite literally talking about showing people on the rooftops talking about the mail carriers, the firehouse beyond the left field fence, all of that 100% was a big part of the popularity and sort of the, the beauty of Wrigley field, especially in the 1980s. Yeah. And you're, I, I, I could picture that as well. And, and picture, you know, at not just the, the mailman, which obviously is an iconic shot, but all, also all the ball catchers that used to be out there. They used to show in the neighborhood. And I remember like shots of the lake and stuff like that of all the neighborhood, but I will say during the all-star game, uh, when it was out in Coors Field, there were some overhead shots. I don't know, blimp shots or just drones or whatever. But I remember watching it and I was like, ah, there's a uh, Roman's house, like across yeah. the street track. There's a, yeah. uh, you know, where his residence. And uh, uh, so I, I was, I was pointed out. So you did get the All Star game. I, I was watching with my dad, and I was like, hey, right there. I don't see Roman though. He must be yeah. in the at the game. I was, I was fortunate to attend the All Star game that year. But I do like going up on the rooftop, taking in the ballpark, and and just thinking. Get camera over here. You could tell some funny stories. But when I watch Rockies games, they don't do a lot of that. And really, they don't do a whole lot of panning around the ballpark like you see with some other broadcasts. Feels like a missed opportunity. But, you know, there's other criticisms I have about the state of the Rockies broadcast these days. We'll get to that a little bit later this season. I want to wrap up with this. Let's come back to the Cubs here. We have been doing fan graphs projections. We've looked at the outfield, the infield, the catchers, the starting rotation. That leaves the bullpen for this week. So Jeremy's identified a couple of arms that he thinks will be top performers for the Cubs in the bullpen. He's got the fan graphs projections, and then we are each going to take an over-under on whether or not we think that player will outperform or underperform their fan graphs expectations. So Jeremy, let's start at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and just to um, for all these names, the reason these five names, and some of them were actually picked here by Randall, but I did change one. And the reason I changed one is because these are the five names that Fangrass projects to throw the most innings. So I thought I'd go with that. Um, so for the Cubs this season. Uh, so the first one is a new a new Cub, uh, Brad Boxberger, or as Randall says, Brad Burger of Boxes, or I don't know what you were saying the other day. Box, Box Brad Burger. Box yeah. Brad Burger, yeah. Uh, so Fangrass projects him to throw 62 innings in 62 games. 
only seven saves on the projection, but probably because he hasn't really thrown a lot of saves in uh, the last couple of years. A 4.26 ERA, a 0.0 war and for this upcoming season. And this year, or excuse me, last year, he threw 64 innings, 70 games, only one save, but he had 2.95 ERA and a 0.7 war. Now, a lot of these wars will obviously be a lot lower. Guys coming out of the bullpen, not as impactful, so they're not going to get like huge numbers for bullpen guys. But you know what? I'm going to go over on this because I think Brad Boxberger is going to be a good signing. I think he's going to be pretty effective uh, for the Cubs. So I'm going to go with the over with Brad Boxberger. I'm going to take the under on Brax. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> I'm going to take the under on Brad Boxberger here. Under for me. I'm shocked, Randall, to hear that. I, I laughed out loud when I saw 0.0 on the war. If this guy is worse than a 0.0 war, that would be just a huge disappointment. He's going to take the over. I think he's going to close a lot of games for the Cubs, especially the first half of the season. And I think he'll stay healthy. So I'll take the over. Is there anything Randall that, that makes you think the under is coming from him? I'm very surprised you know, just, for you to be pessimistic. Just, just a hunch, just a hunch, just a feeling. I just have a feeling one of these solid bullpen project guys that the Cubs sign with the intention of flipping. If it goes poorly, I just think it has to blow up on them at some point and it, it might as well be Brad Boxberger. Not going to, not going to do it again. Yeah. Moving on. I, I guess we're going to go to another guy, a new guy uh, that the Cubs signed a right-hander uh, another interesting 62 innings pitch in 62 games. I don't know if that's just the number, but uh, that's the projection for Michael Fulmer coming over from the Minnesota Twins this year, 13 saves for Michael Fulmer. So it sees him as, you know, in the past last year, he did save a bunch of games, uh, 4.08 ERA, 0.3, excuse me, a 0.3 war uh, projected. And last year with the Twins, he had 63.2 uh, innings pitched in 67 games. He only had three saves, I guess, but 3.39 ERA and a 0.7 war. And I'm going to go with the over here. I think he's going to be kind of – an effective pitcher. I think he's going to pitch a lot. I think they're going to throw him a lot. Hopefully, um, you know, I, if he's bad, they'll probably get rid of him real quick. But hopefully, we're going to see like we've seen with some other guys that the Cubs have done uh, had some success with over the past couple of years coming into the bullpen. I think that he's going to be a guy that gets a lot of run coming out of the pen. I'll take the over for Fulmer as well. So flip of my last guess, over for Fulmer. 100% agree with that. I think he's going to fit nicely into this bullpen, and they've done a fantastic job turning these free agents into good pieces. He got some velocity there, so hopefully in his age 30 season, he has a nice season for the Cubs. I'll take the over. Who's next? Next is a guy we all have talked about a little bit. You know, he was pitching a little bit in the rotation, so Keegan Thompson uh, we're talking about as kind of a multi-inning guy. But the, the Fangraphs projection for 79 innings next year over 72 games, so not quite as much of a multi-inning guy. Uh, they don't project any saves from him, and he didn't have any saves last year. So we'll see that. But uh, 4.14 ERA, a .1 war. Last year he threw 115 innings pitch in only 29 games because he had a lot of starts. I think he had started 17 games last year. Uh, 3.76 ERA and a .8 war. So I'm, I, you know, I, I would normally say that's about right. But I do think that he's going to go over. I think he's actually going to throw more than 79 innings because I think he's going to get some spot starts. I think he's going to pitch some multi-inning game or excuse me, yeah, multi-inning games. So I'm going to go higher than that because I think he's actually going to throw a good chunk of innings. I'm also taking the over on Keegan Thompson. I think they're undervaluing him a great deal. Over for Keegan Thompson. Easiest over of any of the players here. He will be the most effective Cubs reliever this year. He's going to rack up the strikeouts. He's going to rack up the innings. Hit the over 
quickest over there on 0.1 war. Yeah. And moving on to our next guy, another Cubs farmhand who we've seen come up to the majors and, and had some success, but hasn't had a lot of injuries. Albert Elzelai. So we're hoping for big things from Albert Elzelai this year. Uh, 68 innings pitched six, in 68 games is the projection. Six saves. So it sees him getting some time at the end of the games. A 3.86 ERA, a .6 war. Last year, and unfortunately, only 13.1 innings pitched in six games. Hit a 3.38 war, or excuse me, ERA, which... Uh, and a 0.5 war. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to go with the under on this, not because I don't think Adbert's going to be an effective pitcher. I'm just skeptical of the fact how healthy he's going to be. I think he, we haven't really seen him very healthy over time. He's had a lot of injuries over the years, even dating back to him being in the system. I'm just skeptical that he's going to actually really get out there on a regular basis. So I'm going to go with the under, unfortunately. But I think when he is out there, he will be an effective pitcher. Jeremy, I'm going to take the other side of your answer, quite literally. I'm going to take the over uh, and saying he stays healthy. And I agree if he doesn't, it's going to be very different. But I will take the over on Adbert as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I uh, the fan in me says over, but we got to take a stance on this. So I'm going to actually go with the under. Health is the big question with him. If he can keep the arm together, he should be great. He looked really nice in the pen last year, but that is the big question mark. And I just don't think that there's going to be a long leash for a lot of people in this bullpen. There's a ton of talent. The Cubs are going to be sending some major league talent to the minor leagues this year. So if anybody's struggling, it's going to be a quick pull. And let's bring up the next best guy from Des Moines. So I'm taking the under with Adbert. Mm-hmm. And uh, so our next guy, which is actually a very interesting one, I mean, and, and you'll see why when we come to the end of this. But uh, Brandon Hughes, you know, we talked about our friend uh, Greg Kerner, uh, Kern up there in Lansing, Michigan. He's a big fan of Brandon Hughes because Brandon Hughes is a Michigan State Spartan, although he was an offensive player, position player at Michigan State, and now he's a pitcher. So the projection for Brandon Hughes is 64 innings pitched in 64 games, 11 saves, a 4.0 ERA, 0.2 war. And now here's the interesting part to me was last year he pitched 57.2 innings in 57 games. He had eight saves, 3.12 ERA, yet Fangrass had him with a negative 0.3 war. And I would like to dive into that more. I, I didn't really quite dive into that to understand why it was a negative war. I did see his FIP was a lot higher than his uh, ERA was like 4.6, but he had a lot of strikeouts. He did have a lot of walks, but not like a ton of walks, a crazy amount of walks. He did have some luck last year, but it it was just interesting to me. I think I like Brad Hughes. He's going to be the one lefty out of the bullpen that we have right now. He's got a lot of strikeouts. Like he has strikeout stuff. So I I, I think it's going to be over. I think he's going to be effective pitcher and I'm skeptical of that negative 0.3 war that Fangrass is giving him uh, from last year. So I think it's going to be over. I'm going to be the pessimist. I'm going to take the under. I could very easily see the league catching up to him this year. Relievers are volatile, especially young ones. I'm going to take the under as, as much as it hurts me to do that. I'm going with the over. I'm also buying on him. I just really wish there was another lefty to even things out a little bit. It's going to be a lot of pressure on him and a lot of high leverage situations against good left-handed batters because that's going to be where he's going to be put thrust out there for. So I will take the over, but get him some help. Cubs need another lefty in that bullpen and hopefully they can find it soon. Zach Britton. Well, that goes back to something I was saying earlier. Now that Edwin Diaz is out, is Zach Britton primed for New York city? Buck Showalter. They, they got a relationship. Yeah. I just did first one of the first things that comes to mind when you see a big time player like that go down and the Mets all off season, it's, hey, on to the next guy. They are certainly not afraid to spend some money. And at this point, Britain shouldn't cost that much to come in. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in New York. Maybe the Cubs, though, take another look there. But I, 
just don't feel great about going into the season with just one lefty in the bullpen. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I would, like we talked about what had happened, but I was stunned Michael Fulmer was a signing when we were talking about they only have one lefty. They have Brandon Hughes. And uh, you know, that's kind of like so you know, maybe like you get something out of Brendan Little or something. Uh, but not really we're not really seeing it right now. It's free training for any of these lefties that the Cubs do have in the system. So I, I hopefully like we'll we'll see some uh, somebody brought into camp. And and Jets talked about it. he's mentioned like don't be surprised if there will be somebody brought into camp, but we haven't quite seen it yet. Well, we got a big yawn from Randall J. Sanders there. We approached the midnight hour back in the Midwest. So I think that's the signal, Jeremy, that we got to bring this thing home. It was like watching the Lion King. You know, you see, uh, what's the dad in the Lion King? Not Simba. The, Mufasa. What's the pop? Mufasa. Mufasa. Mufasa there stretching the jaws. Uh, big Randall's ready for bed here. So I think we should bring this one to a close. Yeah, and unfortunately, Mufasa didn't make it through the movie. So yeah. we got to hopefully I make it through the movie. <laughs> yeah. I would I prefer not to be shoved off the cliff by my evil brother. Hopefully that's not a fate that befalls me. Yeah, no, you're going to be fine, Randall. It just uh, got my attention there. And I said, we had a lot to cover tonight. We got through it. And next week, as we look ahead to that show, much more on Cubs spring training and World Baseball Classic continues to heat up and maybe a little NCAA hoops talk. We're ready for it. Randall's got a pool. He's in. His bracket's ready to go. So eager to see who Randall has winning. Uh, Let me put you boys on the spot here. Let's end with this. What's your national championship, Jeremy? Who are your two and who wins it? Uh, I think my national championship was Alabama and Ooh. Houston. And I think I unfortunately – I know, unfortunately, this is going to piss off both me and Ronan. I think I pissed, I picked Houston to win the national oh, championship. Oh, no, 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 no. That cannot happen. I, that absolutely cannot it. I agree with you, but unfortunately, they're, like, so good. I've got uh, Houston out in the Elite Eight, and I've got Bama out in the elite eight. Uh, I don't want either of those teams to win for different reasons, but I'm not rooting for either of those teams. Randall, who you got in the championship game and who's winning it. I have uh, Xavier over Arizona 68. Wow. Wow. Xavier, yep. Sean Miller love from Randall Sanders. I've got a nice run from Xavier over too. His, I'm with you. Former team. That's a yes, big Sean Miller bowl against Arizona. That's a big Sean Miller pull. Well, this is what I'm going with. I have Arizona. Out of the uh, left side of the bracket, I have Texas, Austin, those Longhorns winning it, and I've got Texas winning the whole thing. It was tough for me this year. Um, I can't cheer for Houston for obvious reasons, that obvious reason being their head coach. I can't cheer for (laughs) Alabama for obvious reasons. If you're following that team, it is a complete disaster with that basketball program right now. Purdue's a one seed. Well, that would be gross. And the other team that I like is UCLA, but one of their best defensive players is hurt and he's out for the tournament. So my first bracket that I put together actually had UCLA winning it, went back and looked at injuries and said, no, they've got a real tough injury. That's going to be hard for them to overcome. And process of elimination got me to Texas. Very, very good team. Maybe they win it, but let's get it started. It starts tomorrow. It's going to be an all day affair. It should be a lot of fun. Could be a lot of fun. Texas, Fired their coach midseason, so that would be a very interesting story if they uh, win the national championship. UCLA and Texas, though, both beat by Illinois. Just putting it out there. And Randall going with Sean Miller, the Sean Miller Cup. I know. Year. The Texas Arizona, Xavier, Arizona, that's uh, Sean Miller all over it. Jeremy, do you have the Illini beating Arkansas? Oh, man, it pains me to say. It pains me to say so much, but I do not have the Illini beating wow. Arkansas. I, I, I think they can do it, I, but... 
you know, it just pains me to say I got Arkansas going against Kansas. But I will say I will be in Vegas next week, and if somehow by some miraculous moment that the Illini end up in the Sweet 16, that will be in Vegas. So I will be there cheering as hard as I possibly can if they if the Illini end up following me out to Vegas. Would you go? Oh, of course. No question. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I was hoping the Hoosiers would be here in Denver, which is hosting a regional site. Not the case. Really disappointed, in fact, with the matchups here in Denver. But I do have Indiana winning not just once, but twice in this tournament before getting into the Sweet 16. But we'll talk baseball again next week here on the show. That's it for Behind the Yellow Line. We will see you next time.